This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an executive coach, and today I welcome Sally Sussman to the show. Sally will share her expertise about communicating with authority and authenticity. Sally, welcome. Thank you, Caroline. It's great to be with you. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I want to put a little pin in what was happening in the world in 2020. Uh, You were, or still are, the Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Pfizer. And in 2020, you found yourself at the helm of I would imagine, Sally, one of the most urgent and high-stakes public dialogues of our time. This was the heart of the pandemic, and you work for an extraordinary big pharma organization. And I'd like you to tell this global audience a bit about your flash of insight and how you and your team found ways to break through the noise and and help the global population understand what was happening and how big pharma could help. Of course. And we all remember back to March of 2020, um, and it was a scary time. I'm here in New York City, and the shelves were thinning out at the grocery store. I saw refrigerated trucks doubling as morgues in front of hospitals. And I was scared for myself, my family, my city, our world. And I am the chief corporate affairs officer at Pfizer. And my boss, Pfizer CEO, Albert Borla, set a very bold intention. He announced to the world that Pfizer would seek to come forward with a vaccine for COVID by the end of the year. Now, that would be eight months from when we were first having this ambition to do something that normally takes 12 years. So it was a super bold ambition. It required us to do everything differently, to crush the bureaucracy, to cut the red tape, to take a process that had been linear and make it happen all at once. So I'm in the room where where this is happening and part of the discussion when I decided I too needed to have a bold breakthrough intention. And I, of course, knew what what I think you were alluding to as well, that, you know, big pharma has had its challenges in the public square. Uh, We're not always seen as the good guys, even though I I think we deserve to be. But when the pandemic hit, suddenly it was a moment where we had to really put up or shut up in terms of living up to our purpose, breakthroughs that change patients' lives. So I enjoy yoga. Yoga. My yoga studio was closed because of the pandemic, but I was at home in a downward dog position when I had the aha moment to make the intention to have, yes, a scientific transformation with the vaccine, but also a trust and reputation breakthrough for the company. So we did things very differently in our space. We became far more transparent. Um, putting all kinds of important documents and intellectual property right up on our website. We made a pledge to be collaborative and not to compete with others in the sector. So we used new language like science will win, not Pfizer will win. And the only enemy is the virus to show that higher tone and collaborative spirit that was required during the pandemic. 
And ultimately, <clears throat> the big move was that I embedded media along the journey, including the Wall Street Journal, a Nat Geo documentary film crew. And I'll tell you, Caroline, there were many sleepless nights I had worried that I might be filming the biggest debacle of history. But I also knew if we failed, we'd have a much bigger problem than a bad news day for Pfizer. Um, we might not even be able to, to be together as we are in the world today. I know that your listeners know the outcome of this story. Pfizer did make that vaccine. But what I also just want to share to round this off is today, Pfizer is a top 10 global brand for the last two years, according to Fortune magazine, because we were able to be intentional and focus on a trust revolution at the same time. So I want to pull that thread about intentionality because it's it's beautifully woven throughout the book. And this, I believe, can be challenging for some to think about how they can focus on that intentionality. So help us figure out maybe some questions that we can ask ourselves to find that clarity. What's mm -hmm. the process, Sally? That's a great question. I find that questions like, what is it I really want to achieve here? Why am I speaking or, or presenting? Is there something that I singularly need to say? How is it that we want people to feel after this work is done? I find those questions really helpful in centering my intention. You talk a lot too in the book about being brave. And I'm going to share a quote that I absolutely love. You wrote, have courage and let candor be your lifeblood. Deliver with care and respect. Be brave. And you very generously and vulnerably share the story about having the courage to come out to your parents. That must have been tough. Tell us more. Sure. And, and please remember, this was 40 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, the world was a very different place. Um, it was the, the heart of the AIDS epidemic. Most professional people were living their lives in the closet. Um, and I was a young adult just graduating from college and realizing that I was gay. I um, felt I needed to go home to St. Louis, Missouri to share this information with my parents. Um, we've always been a close family. I knew it would be tough. I just didn't know how tough. And that evening, uh, we sat down, the three of us, myself and my parents. And after dinner, I shared how much I loved them, how important they were to me, and that I was gay. And it, it was tough. Um, my, my mom was angry. My dad felt devastated. And he said, you'll never have a spouse, a child, or a career. And those words, they, they hurt me, though it wasn't his intention. He was just expressing his parental fears and his thoughts for how I would be living my life on the margins and in the shadows. Because of that candor, my life, my life plan was formed in that moment, that if I had nothing else, I needed to have those three things. And I'm happy to tell you, I have a wonderful wife. We've been together 35 years. We have an amazing and bright 29-year-old daughter, and I'm really proud of the work that I do. And I'm also happy to report that my relationship with my parents is great. Um, you know, we, we are far more authentic with each other for what we went through. And so to all your listeners, I want to say, if there's something you need to say 
if there's an apology note that's sitting in your draft inbox or and I love you that is caught in your throat, say it. Because even if you experience some short-term uh, anxiety or, or loss, you'll be rewarded in the long term with peace and pride and authentic relationships. Oh, Sally, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing and being open and transparent and, and vulnerable. It really means a lot. So I want to pivot a little bit because you write, and I agree with you, that brilliant communication begins with clear intention and being a powerful communicator is the first step to being a great leader. So tell us that, because clearly you're a, a pinnacle C-suite leader. You've worked with leaders around the globe throughout your career. And communication is, is not a soft skill. You and I share that concept. And you write about it being a rock-hard competency. So let's get started on a conversation about leadership and communication. Great, because that's the premise of my book. Um I went to the Harvard Business Review Press to publish my book because they're thought leaders in leadership. And you and I are in complete agreement that the often the missing link for communicators is a focused, disciplined practice of thoughtful and powerful communications. I've, I've had the honor and pleasure to work for nine chief executive officers, cabinet secretaries, and senators, and they're all very smart very hardworking people. You don't get to their perch in life if you're not. But there are a few of them, uh, Ken Chenault from American Express, Leonard Lauder from Estee Lauder, and my boss, Albert Borla at Pfizer, who really broke out and became high-impact leaders, who drove change, who created followership, who, who moved the needle on what is the expectations. Because they really lean into communications. They practice, they prepare, they pause, they think. They, they hire ex experts like yourself to help them because they know how very important it is. And so um, I'd been thinking about all of these principles for over 30 years in business, and they crystallized during the cauldron of the pandemic in a way that allowed me to write the book at that time. Mm. I can imagine it was a magical experience on your end, synthesizing it and pulling it all together. It's certainly an extraordinary work. Sally will be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code, CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code, CDHWORK. the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. 
connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So I got chills when I was reading about curiosity and how important that is in communication. I'd love for you to tell us more because I think this is an incredible quality that we can heighten and learn and augment. Curiosity is a fascinating topic and not one that we talk a whole lot about usually in the halls of corporate America and in business, but I was very fortunate to have a mentor. Um, I, I met her in my late 30s when I started working at the Estee Lauder companies. Her name was Jeanette Sarkasian Wagner. She was the vice chairman of the company and she was in her late 70s. And she was on the cusp of retirement, but we were able to take a trip together before she retired, a business trip. And we went to China. And at the end of the day, all I could think about was the the bathtub in my hotel, a deep soak and a hamburger from room service and go to bed. <laughs> but she said to me, well, what are your plans, dear? And of course, I had no plans. I didn't know anyone in China. I had never had this kind of international travel experience. She took me by the hand. She showed me all kinds of things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Local art galleries, small markets, um, the opportunity to meet people that she knew and stay up late and enjoy food and, and friendship. And she said to me when we left, jet lag is boring. And she's right. And so ever since then, I've made it a practice of mine, Caroline, to whenever I go anywhere, take a few extra minutes, even if it's a trip across town in New York City, to look around, to pop your head in a little cafe, to say hello to someone that maybe you wouldn't normally talk to. Because in those exchanges, you broaden yourself in ways that make you a better communicator. You, you have a, a perspective, a sense of curiosity, an interest in others that comes through in very meaningful ways. And I feel so fortunate to have learned that lesson. Mm, that's a beautiful story. You write eloquently about our need to stop and reflect. And, and I call this the, the power of the pause. And it's tough. Some people are wrapped tightly, they're on that proverbial treadmill, and they don't even take moments during the day to pause and reflect. So how might we do better and improve? Thank you for asking that question. I'll tell you that most of the mistakes I make, and I make plenty, are when I'm rushing. Mm. If I haven't taken the time to um, just center myself, and you were very kind before we started this conversation to say to me, take a moment. And I appreciated that because we are often rushing from meeting to meeting or phone call to phone call. And when we rush like that, as I said, we make mistakes. We don't have that opportunity for intentionality. We don't reflect on, you know, who is it that we're speaking to and, and what might we want to convey. And so I, I find that when executives are nervous, they tend to talk too quickly. And I have been a real advocate for this idea of, of a pause, a pause just to sometimes let your idea sink into your listener, to take a breath. It's just incredibly powerful, surprisingly so sometimes. I agree. And it can also be a beautiful opportunity for the listener, whomever is in your audience, to really absorb what you're saying. So it's a, it's a two-way street for the benefit. 
Sally, I'd like to learn more about humility and your thoughts about humility and leadership, because the leadership uh, characteristics have changed happily over the decades. Command and control originated in our military, and some uh, older generation folks are still using that methodology. But I think humility is now at the forefront of what we look for in leaders. Tell me more. You're so right. Um, When we were speaking earlier in this conversation, and I mentioned that during the pandemic, all of the biopharmaceutical companies really worked together in a very different way and um, collaborated and shared capabilities and information. And I remember as we were working our way through through the pandemic, and I was on a panel discussion with a peer from another company, and I heard him take credit for something that I, I thought really came more from, from my company than his company. And the first thing that happened is the hair went up on the back of my neck and I wanted to, you know, uh, to kind of interrupt him and I could prove that what he was saying was his idea was actually our idea. And I, I stopped myself and I realized, why do I need to claim credit for this? It's not going to, uh, make me look better. It's only going to make him feel badly and it's not going to inspire people to to want to work together or to work with us. And, you know, if you can allow yourself sometimes to not feel that need to be in charge or take the credit or win the blue ribbon all the time, what I think ends up happening is uh, bonds of friendship form, camaraderie takes hold, and you're able to do more things together. So I really feel strongly that you can let it go in the short term because over time um, people will will come to know you and if they can come to know you as a humble person, a person who values humility, they'll want to work with you and you have a much better chance of achieving your big long-term aims. What about humor? Because some people uh, inject humor into their remarks and it's very fluid, it's very natural, and then others are not as successful. So how do we how do we weave humor in appropriately to our remarks? And I'm thinking of something as as serious as the pandemic, right? Was there any room there for some mm-hmm. levity? Mm-hmm. There's, I believe there's always room for some levity. In all candor, the chapter on humor was mm. the hardest one to write because humor's become hard in our very politically correct world. And what I'm talking about here is not a stand-up routine um, or, you know, dancing on the tables with the lampshade on your head to be funny, or certainly no one wants to be the court jester of their company. What I'm talking about is lightening the mood, um, creating a, a sense of playfulness. And at Pfizer, we have four values, courage, excellence, equity, and joy, And when we made joy one of our values, we said, well, what do we mean by that? And what we mean is that we take our job seriously, but not ourselves. That we say things like laughter is good medicine too. And, you know, we celebrate celebrate our victories and we celebrate one another. And, you know, I'd been given some feedback earlier in my career, Caroline, that I could sometimes get rather intense and when I get intense, everybody around me gets intense. And it's it's really a gift. 
and, and a valuable leadership tool if you can lighten up every so often and just let a joyfulness, a playfulness, a sense of humor and play come into your, your life at work. So I think this is a beautiful tie-in and a good way for us to end. So my final question for you today, Sally, and I'm, I'm learning so much from you. We agree that the erosion of civility is, is happening in society today, but you talk about finding a common ground or at least a way to disagree agreeably. So how do we find that? How do we do a better job seeking harmony? Thank you. Seeking Harmony is the final chapter of my book and something that I really feel we need to work together to create this opportunity for for a more civil society. I recently heard on the Edelman Trust Barometer that, that just came out, they asked the question, if someone was hurt, would you help them even if you thought maybe you didn't dis- you didn't agree with them on key points, only thirty percent said yes. Wow! Which means that seventy percent said no. They would not help a stranger in need if they thought they were uh, had a philosophy or a view different from them. And that was an unnerving statistic that stuck with me. And why I'm advocating for harmony, which is. Um, an idea I, I first heard from Adam Grant, the, the management thinker, and the the point is is that we can have a different sounds. We don't have to agree. You don't have to win the point in every argument. You need to be able to let these different sounds come together, possibly even to create some harmony, so that we can solve problems, so that we can live together. We can get through a family dinner without a fight. And um, it would mean, I think, so much to our lives in the workplace, our lives in society, if we all committed to this. And it involves active listening, listening for understanding, not listening for rebuttal. It involves keeping your mind and your heart open to the idea that maybe, just maybe, you aren't right. Maybe the other person has a point of view worth hearing and, and reflecting on. And so I'm. I'm a big advocate for for seeking harmony and appreciate very much uh, that you flagged it in this conversation. Sally Sussman, I learned so much from you. I am deeply grateful, and I want to tell this global listening audience about your extraordinary new book. It's called Breaking Through, Communicating to Open Minds, Move Hearts, and Change the World. And Sally, the book is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Any last words of wisdom for this international audience? Only to say how very much I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you, Caroline. And I think conversations like these will help us all become better leaders. I agree. Sally, thank you so much. And I wish you continued success. Thank you. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I want to hear from you, so let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedoubthiggins.com. And a special shout-out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. 
I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.